welcome everybody to, to uh, week two of our series through the book of Jonah. Uh, as you know, we kicked this series off last weekend, and as we began walking through the story of Jonah, uh, we discovered that one of the main themes of the book of Jonah is sin. And, and, and um, with regards to sin, there are many places in the Bible that address sin and talk about it theologically, but I believe that the book of Jonah so- shows us a real concrete picture of sin. And, and uh, last week we took a look at sin as, as uh, <clears throat> you could write this in your notes and uh, you can just, just reflect on this because I think this is hugely important. Sin is building an identity for ourselves on anything other than God. Or in other words, sin is it's all the weird ways, all the specific ways, all the ways that we decide to run from God. So that's one theme. The other theme that we picked up on or discovered is the grace of God. And, and, and the grace of God really is this. It's God's holy refusal. It's God's holy refusal. It's his commitment to refuse to allow our self-destructive agendas or the sin in our lives to be at work without actually doing something to save us from it. That's what God's grace is. And so, so the context that we were looking at last week involved God sending Jonah to Nineveh to tell the Assyrians about sin and grace, but what was becoming apparent is that these are just abstractions in Jonah's life. He's never really came to grips with his own sin, and because of that, he's never really experienced God's grace. And this is why, I believe this is why, Jonah sees the Assyrians as undeserving of God's grace. I think it's one of the reasons why he refuses to go to Nineveh, but what Jonah doesn't realize is that he himself is just as undeserving as the Assyrians are. And this, this, really, this really is the first step towards finding God's grace, is coming to grips that you yourself, that I myself, that we're undeserving of God's grace. Because here, here's the thing about God, and this, is, I believe, is one of the things that Jonah had misunderstood up to this point. God's not a transactional God who only gives people what they deserve. He's a transcendent God who gives people things that they absolutely and utterly do not deserve. And so up to this point, I think it's reasonable for us to assume that based on Jonah's behavior, God's nothing more than a concept to him. And perhaps, perhaps you're, you're, you're tuning in today and God's nothing more than a concept to you. And, and, and perhaps it could be that like Jonah, you've never really come to grips with who you are uh, And I believe that it's not until we begin to see that we're in desperate need of God's grace, it's not until we we come to grips with that that we begin to clearly see who we really are. And it's not until we begin to come to grips with how, how how, how desperate we are in need for God's grace that we can really begin to experience it. And if you don't think like this, all I'm asking you to do is, is consider it. Especially if you're in a place in your life where you really want to grow personally and spiritually. And I think it's safe to assume that everyone who's here today, everyone who's tuning in to some degree or another, wants to see growth in their life. I think one of the things that we don't realize is that the growth that we desire really is primarily about understanding who we are. And I I don't think there's anything more effective in helping us get to the bottom of who we are than the storms we face in our lives. I believe that it's through the storms that we face that our identities can actually change. Uh, And and that's not because of the power of the storm itself. It's because of the power of God's grace at work in our lives through the storm. And this, uh, this is what I think is happening in Jonah's life. And it's what I really would like for us to talk about today. And in order to do that, 
I want to look at two things. I want to look at the storm that God sends, and I want to look at the way that Jonah responds to that storm. And so up to this point, we're in chapter one, what we really see is that Jonah is in a situation he can't get himself out of. And it's his circumstances that allow him to experience the power of God's grace in a way that actually changes his life. And it all starts when God sends a storm. In verse four, here's what we read. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And now, now the word hurled is often used for throwing a weapon such as a spear. And then there was this great wind. And that's the same word that God uses to describe the city of Nineveh. And it's the same word that's used to describe uh, God's power as well. And so what we see at work here, what this really is, is it's a vivid picture of God chasing Jonah down and surrounding him. And because, because Jonah had refused to go to the great city of Nineveh, he's going to go into a great storm. And this isn't because God's executing a great punishment. This is because God is expressing his great love for Jonah. And so the principle that I think is at work in Jonah's life in chapter 1 of this story is that all sin has a storm attached to it. And so the, so the storm that God sends is both troubling and it's comforting. So the troubling news is, that it, it, I've already said it, it's that all sin has a storm attached to it. Now, if we were to peruse the Old Testament, what we would find, especially in the book of Proverbs, is that every act of disobedience to God comes with a storm. What this doesn't mean is that every difficulty we face is, is some sort of punishment for a particular sin that we've committed. It also doesn't mean that people who are living lives that honor God are going to have lives that are free of any storms or of any challenge. Um, in fact, the entire book of Job contradicts the belief that good people will have lives that go well. And if your, your life is being rattled by storms, it's somehow always your fault. The Bible doesn't assert that every difficulty is the result of sin, but here's what it does assert, that every sin causes difficulty. And so it might be easier for, for you to think of it like this. I'm sure you've heard this. And it's basically this, that our, our actions have consequences. And so here, here's my premise. If God built us to know, serve, and love him and to love people, anything that we do that doesn't honor our design comes with a consequence. So if we violate the laws of God, we're violating our own design. Think of it like this. You can't treat your body indifferently and expect to, to have a healthy life. You can't treat people indifferently and expect to have healthy relationships. And we can't put our own selfish interests ahead of everything else and expect to have a functioning society. So in other words, if we violate the design and purpose of things, if we sin against God, if we sin against our bodies, if we sin against the people in our lives, if we sin against society... They strike back. And in some cases, here's what the Bible explicitly says. It talks about God punishing sin. Proverbs 16.5 highlights this. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. They will not go unpunished. That's a hard word. And now in other places, it speaks about sin itself punishing us. Here's what Proverbs 21.7 says. It says, the violence of the wicked will drag them away for they refuse to do what is right. 
So ultimately, here's, what I, here, here's my conviction. I believe that God created us to live for him more than anything else. And what this means is that we're designed to be a certain way. And if we, if we build our lives and meaning on anything other than God, we're acting against the grain of the universe. We're acting against the grain of our design. We're acting against ourselves. And we're acting against other people. And so Jonah ultimately is running from God because he built his life in his identity. And what we learn, here's what he built it on. He built it on something other than God. And here's what he had built it on. He built it on his, his racial pedigree. So who he was was most defined by where he was from and what race he was. And he also built it on religious pride. And because Jonah had built his life on things he felt he had earned, he refused to go to Nineveh because he felt superior to the Assyrians. From Jonah's perspective, they didn't deserve God's grace. They weren't the right race. They didn't believe the right things. They hadn't earned it. And because they hadn't earned the rights that Jonah felt he had, he had earned, they didn't deserve the things that Jonah felt he deserved. And so I'm really not even sure at this point, you know, that I would have had a different mindset. Because something that, that, that we need to really reconcile about the Assyrians is this, that they're some of the most brutal people that have ever lived in the history of humanity. The carnage they caused landed them the reputation as a terrorist state. And even during Jonah's lifetime, they repetitively threatened to invade and destroy the northern territory of the kingdom of Israel. Then in 722 BC, that's exactly what they ended up doing. They laid it in ruins, including its capital city, Samaria. And then in addition to all of that, Jonah would have been familiar with the the prophecy of the prophet Nahum, who basically said God would destroy Nineveh because of its evil. And so Jonah would have been familiar with all of these things. And so what I'm implying is that there, there were no shortage of reasons that would have caused us ourselves to not even want to go to Nineveh. But the biggest reason that Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh had nothing to do with the atrocities of the Assyrians. It had everything to do with who Jonah was. The reason Jonah ran, the reason we run, the reason under all the other reasons is because Jonah ultimately didn't understand sin and grace. Because he couldn't see his own sin, he couldn't see the need for the deep need for grace in his own life. And this is why I believe he was kind of out of touch with himself. And uh, I, I think this is why he had a superiority complex. And, and maybe you haven't heard it put like this, but the, to, the degree to which we feel superior over people is the degree to which we're out of touch with our own flaws. It's the degree to which we, we believe we've earned our, our keep with God. And it's the degree to which we ourselves don't understand sin and grace. And so Jonah's wrestling with this sense of racial superiority. And it's, it's just really evidence of how spiritually shallow he is. And here's what I think about a, a spiritually shallow Christian identity. I think, I think that's what leads to professing Christians be, being racists or bigots, or self-centered, or addicted to pleasure, or committed to their cause ahead of the common good. I think this is what, what happens when instead of Jesus' love, the world's power, approval, comfort, and control are the real roots of our own self-identities. And so I see this as Jonah's fundamental issue. I think it's our fundamental issue. And I think it's why we run from God. 
And it's not until we become aware of this fundamental issue that we become aware of who we really are. So when Jonah runs, here's what happens. The results of his disobedience, remind you, I mentioned that every storm has a, every sin has a storm attached to it. And so when Jonah runs, the results of his disobedience are immediate, they're dramatic. God hurls this mighty storm right at him. Its fury and its rage are categorized as supernatural by everyone who experiences it. And I'm sure you'd agree that this really isn't the norm. I don't know about you, but I have never found myself in the middle of a hurricane the moment after I sinned. It's not until later that the consequences of our sins really catch up with us. And this is what Numbers 32:23 says about sin. It says, be sure your sin will catch up with you. You see, sin, sin in my opinion, it's more like a slow drip until we're drowning. It's kind of like an addicting drug. And I, I was recently talking with someone about their drug addiction, and they've been clean for, for quite some time now, but last year, um, given the circumstances, uh, last year they relapsed, and it ended up costing them their job. And, and here's what they were telling me. They were telling me that when they're high, they're able to rock for 12 hours straight, meaning they're able to be highly productive, focused, dialed in for 12 hours straight. But what they, what they didn't realize, and this was the fix that got them hooked, the, the, the 12 hours of productivity. What he didn't fully see was, that, was the price he was paying for those 12 hours, because for every 12 hours of productivity, it was costing him three days where he was was totally incompetent and MIA. And so this cycle, this pattern was costing him opportunity after opportunity in his life, and it ended up costing him his job. And so sin is like an addictive drug. The longer you use it, the harder it is to quit. And here, here's, here's another way to understand it, because uh, maybe it's not drugs for you, but I, I, I think that it's probably something. There's some means by which you self-medicate or you run from God, and until we come to grips with what that is in our lives, I don't know that we really can get a grasp on who we really are. For instance, maybe, maybe this resonates with you. When we go down the path of bitter thoughts, doesn't it feel really satisfying to some degree to think about the payback we're going to get? Especially when we're thinking about people who've hurt us or let us down. But here's what happens without realizing it. Without realizing it, we end up deteriorating our own ability to trust people. And what that leads to is that every relationship we're ever in becomes toxic. Because here's what sin does. It always hardens the conscience. It locks us in the prison of our own defensiveness. And it always eats us slowly from the inside out. And so the troubling news is this, that all sin has a storm attached to it. But there's hopeful news as well. It's because of God's great love for us that the very storms that have the power to crush us can be used to change us by crushing the power of sin in our lives. And so the next principle that I believe is at work in Jonah's life is that every storm, every storm that we face, regardless of why we're facing it, has the power to crush the sin in our lives. Now, 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 what the Bible never says is that every difficulty we face is the result of sin. What it does teach is that for followers of Jesus, every storm can help reduce the power of sin in our lives. And so when it comes 
to storms and, stu- and suffering. I, I do think that it's important to point out that the first chapters of Genesis make it abundantly clear that God did not create the world and the human race for suffering, disease, natural disasters, and death. The evil entered the world when we ran from God. But God loves us so deeply that when he sees sin and suffering in the world, his heart is actually filled with pain. This is what the prophet Isaiah was getting at. And here's what the prophet Isaiah said. Chapter 63, verse 9. He says, in all our affliction, he too is afflicted. God's not like a chess player moving pawns to his own advantage. Um, and, and, and even though, even though we may never have absolute clarity with regards to the good that God is accomplishing through the storms that we face, we can be certain that God loves us too much to give us over to our own selfish agendas. And it's the power of God's love that makes it possible to use the power of the very storms that can crush us to change us. Look, God can use storms to wake us up to truths that we otherwise would be oblivious to. Storms can help us develop deeper levels of faith, hope, love, patience, humility, self-control. I mean, mind you, these are all the attributes that we really want to see at work in our lives. But but storms can develop those things in us like nothing else can. And even even people who discard Christianity, here's here's what I think they would agree with. They're relying on their own limited perspectives, but they, they too see that continual success really only ever leads to shallowness, right? They acknowledge that the strongest people tend to be the ones who've endured the greatest adversity, the most tremendous failures, frustrations, and losses in their lives. The challenge is we don't always see it like this. And see, just like when we're in the middle of the storm, Jonah couldn't initially see that deep within the terror of the storm, God's love was at work, drawing him back to himself to change his heart and transform his life. And so ultimately, this storm that Jonah was facing, and the storms that we face as well, they allowed Jonah, this storm allowed Jonah, and they allow us to face our failures in order to show us the fundamental flaw in our own soul. And so what's happening to Jonah really is God's loving intervention. And God tends to intervene through storms. And here's why. It's because in our moments of weakness, that's when we come to the realization that we're really not in control of our lives the way that we thought we were. And that we've built our lives on things that ultimately will never satisfy us. Now, now, now some of us, uh, self-included, we've built our lives around goals or ambitions. And, and here's, the, here's the, the story we tell ourselves, that if we could only achieve that or acquire that or accomplish that, our lives would be complete. And, but, but when it doesn't work out, we all know that we're stung with this deep sense of frustration. We're devastated. But I'm here to tell you that it's God who can use the frustration to show us how weak and dependent we are. And until we, until we come to grips with this, we really can't begin to experience the change we really want in our lives. And so one of the ways God intervenes is through storms of loss. But there's another way, and it's a lot more subtle. And this might even be happening to you right now, and you're completely oblivious to it because you probably don't see it as a storm. Sometimes God allows us to get exactly what we want, the success, the love, the promotion, the wealth, the relationship, the wealth. And eventually, what happens when we get exactly what we want is we realize that we're no more satisfied 
than we were before. We're still empty. And what I believe God's whispering to us in those times is simply this. You have everything you thought you wanted, but you're not going to begin to experience the change you really want until you center your life on God. And some of us, I think, we could admit right now that we're bitter. And I would wager you can even point to specific things that have happened to you, uh, things that people have done to you, ways that you've been treated, and you could absolutely justify your bitterness. But I want to give you something to think about. Would, would, Would you just consider this? Could it be that those people who've let you down and hurt you and burned you, or those experiences that have caused deep deep frustration in your life, could it be that those people and those experiences are mere occasions for your bitterness, but they're not actually the root cause? Would you consider that, that, that perhaps the root cause of the bitterness that, that maybe you're experiencing right now is not primarily because of what's happened to you? It's linked primarily to how you've responded to what's happened to you. See, I, I believe that um, what we're going to learn from Jonah is, is that our response to the storms in life really will determine whether or not we become stronger and wiser or, or, or harder and more bitter. And so I said that every storm can help crush the power of sin in our lives. However, it's our response to the storms we face that determines whether the power of the storm will crush us or help crush the power of sin at work in us. Another way of looking at at that is help crush the things that work in us that are really just holding us back and not allowing us to develop into the people that we want to be. So at this point, what I want to do is I want to take a look at how Jonah Jonah responds to the storm. Now, the Jonah we saw in verses 1 through 5 really made it easy for us to ridicule him. I mean, there's a storm breaking loose, and he's asleep in the lowest part of the ship, unfazed, unimpacted, and he has a deep sense that it's his fault, but he's just, he's sleeping through the storm. But what ends up happening is the power of the storm impacts Jonah in a way that changes him and allows him to do something that we can learn from. And so turn with me to verse 9. Here's what we find there. It says, he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up. And throw me into the sea so that it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that's against you. So here, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two responses. Uh, first, we're going to see the sailor's response. And they're, they're panic-stricken. And they're obsessing over one thing, how to get out of the storm. And you might even be in a situation right now where you're responding Very similarly to the sailors where you you just want to get out of the mess that you feel like you're in. Your life's maybe spiraled out of control and you're looking toward God and you're you're considering religion. All because you're looking for answers and you ultimately, you're, you're at a point where you're just willing to try anything. And that might be why you're listening or tuning in today. That might even be why you're you're here today. You're looking for answers to get you out of the mess that you're in. And all you want to know is how to get out of the storm. And I think we all do this from time to time in our lives, but I want to offer you this. What we don't tend to realize is that getting through a storm 
is not the same as enduring storms in a way that helps crush the power of sin in our lives. And so that's where Jonah's response to the storm is different than the sailor's response. Jonah shows us that what the sailors are focusing on is simply the wrong thing. What we can learn from Jonah is that we're not supposed to focus on ourselves. We're not supposed to focus on the mess. What Jonah shows us very plainly is that the way through the storm can only be found outside of the storm and outside of yourself. Jonah responds by looking up to God. He gets his mind off of himself and off of his problems, and he fixes his eyes on God. In verses 9 through 12, Jonah's no longer running, he's no longer sleeping, he's standing up, and he's facing the storm. And when the storm, in, when the storm ensued, the sailors were, were fervently trying to figure out what had caused this storm. And that's when Jonah stands up and he says, I'm responsible for this storm. He's doing this openly. There's no excuses. There's no deflecting. He takes complete ownership. And he says, this one is on me. And if you don't believe me, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become clear that all of this is my fault. And what we see here, one element of things that we're seeing here is that oftentimes the storms of our sin don't just break on us. They break on everyone in our path. And so the storm that's the result of Jonah's sin at this point is endangering the lives of everyone in its path. And like those sailors, many of us have had the storms of someone else's sin break on us, the storms of someone else's bad decisions or abuse or rejection or wickedness that's left us hurt or even left our lives in ruin. And when that happens, here's what tends to happen. The people who've hurt us oftentimes look away from us. But instead of looking away from the people his sin is hurting, Jonah looks right at them. And I believe this is significant. You see, Jonah had refused God's mission largely because he didn't want to extend mercy to people that weren't like him. He had this deep-seated hatred for Assyrians and anyone that wasn't ethnically Jewish the way that he was. And in fact, this boat is filled with the type of people that Jonah deeply hated. But instead of rejecting them, he's embracing them. And I think sometimes, sometimes the first indicator that we're coming to our senses spiritually is is that we're thinking of somebody, anybody other than ourselves, especially the people we've hurt. And so Jonah looks at these people whose lives he's endangered. And he says something like this. He says, you're dying because of me, but I should be dying for you. I'm the cause of this storm in your life, and I want to make it right. Throw me in. Jonah's coming to grips with reality. He's facing his sin by looking up to God, and what he's doing is repenting. He's owning his failures. He's owning his mistakes. And because of that, He can now face the people in his life, even the ones he has hurt. And look, it's not until our sin and our hurts and our needs and our problems and our pains take their true proportion that we begin to see reality. And that's what's happening in Jonah's life. As his gaze focused more and more on God, his life began to transform and the storm began to shrink Look, the reality in our lives is that storms, storms are going to come. And the, the question really is, how will we respond? 
If we face them alone, they have the power to kill us. But if we face them by keeping our eyes fixed on God, God can use the power of the storm to kill the power of sin at work in our lives. This is how we become the people that we really want to be. And Jonah shows us that when we fix our eyes on God through the storm, God can transform us into people who have this tremendous buoyancy of spirit, a wisdom and a depth that we never realized we could have. Look, the ones who repent, the ones who kneel down, the ones who don't demand their rights, the ones who fix their eyes on God are the ones who are changed by the storm instead of being crushed by it. Jonah's response, here's what it shows us. It shows us that the way through the storm is found outside of the storm and outside of yourself. That's why the storm was capable of crushing the sin in Jonah's life instead of crushing him. And so when Jonah tells the sailors to throw him overboard, he's no longer focusing on himself. He's not focused on the storm. He's focused on God, and he's focused on the people in his life. And when the sailors throw him overboard, without even knowing it, Jonah is finding God's grace for the very first time in his life. Because underneath the water, Jonah's going to experience a depth of God's love like he's never experienced because right there in the heart of the storm, God has provided something that Jonah didn't expect. It's something that Jonah didn't deserve. It's something that would save Jonah's life. And it wasn't until Jonah repented and said, God, I give myself completely to you and I want, my, I want to own my mistakes and I want to do whatever is right that he begins to experience the love of God. And so what Jonah does in these final verses of chapter 1, it shows us a picture of what our lives will begin to look like when the power of sin in our lives is crushed. Pick up with me in verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, So they called out to the Lord, Please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. So what what I really want to focus on is what arose in Jonah. And I think it's one of the most fundamental human intuitions. I think it's hardwired deep inside every single one of us, and it's this, that the truest form of love is marked by substitutionary sacrifice. What Jonah is ultimately saying, and this is a picture of substitutionary sacrifice. Here's what Jonah is saying. He's saying, I'll fully take the wrath of those waves and that storm and that sea so that you don't have to. You see, true love meets the needs of the loved one no matter the cost. And and life-changing love always involves some degree of substitutionary sacrifice. Think about this in the context of parenting. Our children need us to read, 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 and then read to them some more, and talk, 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 and then talk to them some more, all for the sake of them developing the ability to communicate. And by and large, their social skills, their emotional well-being, their intellectual abilities, their, 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 abil- their, their capabilities of managing and navigating and resolving conflict really all are shaped by how much time we decide to invest in them. And this doesn't happen 
outside of parents making great sacrifices now and for years to come in the lives of their children. If, if, if we as parents aren't willing to lose our freedom now, our kids will never experience freedom later. They'll never become self-sufficient adults later. It's either us or them. Right? It's either us now or them later. And so here, here's another way of looking at, that, at this. Whenever we keep our word, despite the cost, whenever we forgive someone who doesn't deserve it, whenever we walk with people through suffering, regardless of the emotional drain, we're loving in a way that involves substitutionary sacrifice. And what that really means is that our loss of time, money, emotional energy, really is ultimately their gain. And when we willingly decrease so that someone else can increase, what we're doing is we're expressing true love. And this is different than the so-called love that really just uses people as a, as a means to our selfish ends. And when we love like this, here, here's, what, here's this like really, really peculiar thing that happens. We're not actually diminished. Instead, we become stronger we become deeper, we become happier, we become wiser. We become more like the people that we want to be. And all of that really just serves as evidence of the power of God's love at work in our lives. That's what's happening in Jonah's life. And, and if this is what true love looks like, we shouldn't be surprised that this is exactly how Jesus loves us. And this is the reason why this kind of love is so transformative to us. The reason why it's so transformative is because this is the way that God loves. And we're made in God's likeness and image. Look, true love is the only thing that can actually complete us. And the only way that it can complete us is if we let it in. And that's what Joan is doing. He's letting it in. He's repenting and he's allowing this deep, true unwavering love of God to enter his life. And, and what it's doing is it's transforming Jonah's life. And ultimately what it's doing, what, what it causes Jonah to do is it causes Jonah to do something that really points to Jesus. And so later on in his ministry, when Jesus pointed to and, and, and spoke of the sign of Jonah and, and he, he took the time to call himself greater than Jonah, what he really was getting at is that as Jonah was sacrificed to save the sailors, he would die to save us. Now, now it's important that we point out some differences between Jesus and Jonah because there are a ton of them. And they're really, really profound. You see, Jonah was cast out for his own disobedience, for his own sins. But Jesus was cast out for ours. Jonah went under the water and he came near to death. But Jesus suffered death and endured God's wrath when he came under the full weight and punishment for our sin. And now, now I realize that uh, there are many people out there that find the idea of God's wrath and God's punishment to be troubling. And that's even if you're a person that you might disagree with God's wrath or, or, or really wrestle with that. But, but here's what I believe you agree with. I believe that you agree that, that real uh, a real passion for justice always comes with a righteous anger. And so I'd ask you to consider this, that if we deny God's wrath against sin, it doesn't just rob us of a few, full view of God's holiness and justice. Here's what it does. It diminishes our view of God's grace and the deep sense of wonder and love 
and worship that we should have when we see what Jesus has done for us. So unlike Jonah, who was facing a storm because of his own disobedience, Jesus, in a willful act of obedience, takes the full divine condemnation so that there's none left for those of us who've placed our trust in Jesus. He drains the cup of divine justice so that there's not a drop left for us to drink. He endured the ultimate storm and paid the ultimate wages of sin through his death so that God can use the power of the storms we face in this life not to crush us, but to crush the power of sin in our lives. You see, I, th- I think Jonah had a problem that, and it was a deep conviction, and I think it's really similar to one that we have. Maybe it's this underlying belief that perhaps you're aware of or unaware of, but I believe that to some degree or another it's there in us. And it's this, that if we fully surrender our will to God, we're never going to become the people that we really want to be. And I want to offer you uh, what I believe is ultimate proof that that belief is nothing other than a lie. And I think it's found, it's found in a God who's willing to substitute himself for us, who's willing to suffer so that we may go free. Look, that's the kind of God that you can trust In fact, I think it's completely, completely unreasonable to believe in a God who doesn't substitute himself in the way that Jesus substituted himself for us. Here's why. How how could we live in a world that's filled with real pain and loss and then worship a God who's so distant and separated from it that he's immune to it? Look, Jesus is a God that knows exactly what storms are like because he came into the world. And he experienced life just like we do. And he faced the most powerful storm, the wrath and the justice that we deserved to crush the power of sin in our lives. Look, regardless of what you believe, I think you know this. You're either in a storm right now or one's coming. And you can decide to respond to those storms however you'd like. But I want to offer you this. This is what I think Jonah believed. And this is what I think, if we, if we can get this, this could transform our lives. That the only way to get through a storm that's more powerful than you are is to look to someone who's more powerful than the storm. And that someone is Jesus. And because of God's great love for us, the very storms that have the power to crush us can be used to change us by crushing the power of sin in our lives. And it's not until the power of sin in our lives is crushed that we begin to become the people that we really want to be. Let me pray for us. God, one thing is certain in this life, and uh, it's that we're going to face storms. And in fact, uh, many of us, Right now, we're in the middle of a storm that we didn't anticipate, that we didn't see coming, that we feel like is getting the better of us, that frankly, we don't even know how to handle. God, we're walking through loss. We're walking through diagnosis. We're walking through turmoil. And and, and God, you're the God that is in full control of the storm. And what we're asking you to do is show up for us the way that you showed up for Jonah. Reveal yourself to us as the God that's capable of using the power of the storm to change us and transform us into people who love like you, 
uh, people who, who, are, who, who, who love the world the way that you love the world, people who have a steadfast, steely determination to keep going. God, we ask that you would use the power of the storms in our lives to change us, to crush the things that we know are in our lives that are holding us back from becoming the people that we want to be. God, use, use the storms that we're facing right now to make us into the people that you want to be. God, we love you, we thank you, and we worship your holy name. Amen.